good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon whatever the case may be, wherever you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, live, of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when as we get closer to tomorrow, here in the Land of Enchantment, it is uh, 10 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time, as we get closer to tomorrow, all hell could break loose, even if it already has not and is running around and being chased by uh, the Keystone Cops. Uh, what I mean by that will become clear as the morning progresses, or the afternoon or evening, depending upon where you are. Um, what we're going to talk about tonight is what's going to happen tomorrow, which is the uh, legal, political, you-know-what is going to hit the rotating kitchen appliance coming out of Washington, D.C., because tomorrow is Halloween, and tomorrow in the NDAA, which is the National Defense Authorization Act, signed every year by the president, um, this president, President Biden, last January, signed an NDAA, which was authorized and approved by both houses of the Congress last year, and in that provision of law, there was an amendment by a Republican senator and a Democratic senator, which basically mandated under law that 180 days after the, uh, uh, in, 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 into this year, which uh, takes place on the uh, stroke of midnight, literally tonight, but business really doesn't open in Washington until uh, tomorrow morning, there had to be made public a the first of an annual report by the government, by the Congress, on the state of UAP UFO investigations in all its extraordinary um, implications and details. Uh, in fact, I can kind of read you some of the interesting stuff that is supposed to be in it. Um, let me see if I can find the right pew, as my grandmother used to say. Uh, yes, uh, the amendment to the uh, uh, 2022 NDAA by Senators Kristen Gillibrand and Marco Rubio uh, contained the following. Um, all kinds of uh, revelations on the military and NASA UAP investigations from annual classified and public reports to funding for the investigations to the establishment of a new office to handle these reports and these investigations to a demand for answers from across the board like who makes the UAPs, do they cause health effects, and whether or not we, meaning the U.S. government, have any of them in our possession. All of that, by law, tomorrow is going to hit the public fan in Washington at some time after probably 8 or 9 a.m. And then we'll see where it goes. And that's, of course, why my lead guest tonight is uh, Stephen Bassett, who has been on this lonely, lonely, lonely trail of public disclosure of UFO, UAP, whatever you want to call it these days, investigations, reports, developments for literally decades. Well, his uh, time in the sun has come because we have a very interesting and very complicated show tonight to let him go through at great leisure um, a very complicated three hours because we're basically talking about something that became known in regular political parlance many, many years ago as the October Surprise. And no, I don't think it was the very bewildering and increasingly confusing attack on uh, Paul Pelosi, the husband of the current uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. That may be uh, in that category, but it may not, it will not take precedence if what's going to happen again by law tomorrow does in fact happen. So um, we want to go to, for you who are new to the other side of midnight, we want to go to the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, click on tonight's banner, which says very elegantly, um, 
the real 2022 October surprise with a question mark. And then you click under that banner on my name. That takes you to fast links to items in radio with pictures. Item number one, I'm putting this on the board again because it's coming up fast, as I used to say at the Kentucky Derby on the inside. Um, two weeks from, well, maybe a week and a half from tonight, there's going to be an effort to launch the first unmanned version of the huge spacecraft rocket system, the SLS Orion system, under the Artemis banner to take human beings, Americans, back to the moon. On the 14th, on the wee hours of the 14th in Washington, D.C., East Coast time, Artemis 1 is supposed to leave the launch pad. Well, this coming week on Thursday at noon, there will be a briefing uh, at NASA headquarters. It will be available for press folks and uh, on social media uh, via the website that is listed there as item number one. Just click on that. That will take you to the NASA Artemis blog. You can find out all the details. The actual rollback of the uh, stack, as it's called, the rocket and the spacecraft, will begin about 12 hours later in the pre-dawn hours of Friday, um, November 4th. And that will take uh, all night and there'll be live coverage on YouTube from NASA cameras and all that. And then it will sit there from the 4th for 10 days till the 14th, at which time it's supposed to launch at 12.07 a.m. Eastern, which is 10.07 our time. Our show uh, on the night of the 13th goes on the air at 10, like right now. And so we're going to try, depending upon how the count has gone, to switch live to Cape Canaveral and bring you the opening of a remarkable campaign to go back to the moon and photograph with an incredible array of HD, state-of-the-art, uh, incredible resolution camera technology, all the damn ruins that are there that I've been talking about for over 20 or 30 years. And that will open up a whole new can of worms to back up to buttress to complement what's going to happen tomorrow in Washington. Item number two, this is now um, uh, Bryce Zabel's column, which kind of got me on this uh, track. This is the Here Comes the October Surprise column he wrote a couple of weeks ago for the debrief, and uh, you can read his own words there. Item number three, now this is interesting. Um, we were talking about a moment ago the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act. As you may know or may not know, uh, Congress tries to stay at least a year ahead of these authorizations. So the 2023 NDAA, which is basically the defense budget, you know, the, the, the Pentagon, all the military services, the intelligence agencies, Homeland Security, all that security stuff is under one big umbrella that's, you know, a lot of money. A trillion dollars, give or take. Um, that will be enacted in this year, and it will take effect next year in uh, fiscal 2023. Well, in this coming, not 2022, but the 2023 NDAA, there is a section that Steve's going to talk about tonight where the Congress, the Congress and their wisdom specifically through the Senate Intelligence Committee Appropriations Bill, and we'll define all that, they literally say that there are two categories of these UAPs, UFOs, that the government is now openly trying to deal with. One is the earth crap, the earth noise, the earth clutter, the earth, you know, stuff that's just made by somebody and either misidentified or a secret program or whatever. They also carve out the fact that there are, again, in this language, informal Washington ease, a category of these vehicles, these craft, these phenomena, which are unidentified as being from Earth. In other words, they are not man-made. And there is specific application of the law to that category and direction of the federal government of how to handle their investigation. This is a major breakthrough in 
terminology, in language, in law, and Stephen and I are going to have a lot of fun talking about that in the next few minutes. Item number four. Now, you remember this whole modern era of so-called government openness regarding UFOs after decade and decade and decade of obfuscation and hiding and confusion and delivered misinformation and denial and the Robertson panel and all of that was basically, there's nothing here to see, move along, move along, move along. Well, the New York Times published an article in 2017, in December, which basically changed all that in a front page piece because it listed sightings over two U.S. Navy fleets, battle groups, on the West Coast and the East Coast um, that had been occurring for years before the article appeared. Well, yesterday, another New York Times article appeared by a separate reporter quoting one name source, a public relations person at the Pentagon, referring to a whole bunch of unnamed Pentagon experts. We have no idea who they are and what their expertise really is. Basically saying, never mind, it's all of, uh, you know, it's all a false alarm. There's no such things as aliens or UFOs or ETs. It's all just junk and noise and foreign technology and drones. So on that note, my first guest tonight is Stephen Bassett. Stephen and I have been friends and activists and colleagues for far too long to remember. Um, he is a disclosure advocate and the executive director of something called the Paradigm Research Group, founded back in 1996 to end the government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. And you can read the rest of his bio there. I want, do not want to waste time going into the details that you can read for yourself. So without further ado, Stephen, is it hitting the rotating kitchen appliance yet? Mr. Bassett. Unmute, Steve. This should become one of those automatic things where you're on Skype and it, it could be something's happening. It could be interfered with. Once I get that there brain chip in, in, in my head, the one that I think Elon is preparing for me right now, <laughs> it, it, it will have the ability to automatically unmute. <laughs> whenever you're supposed to be in these things. It's one of the many advantages that are going to come from that. Ship. Well, this I'm goes along with my other grandmother saying, which was, you know, to be sure to engage brain before putting mouth into gear. So this day's it's brain plus Skype. <clears throat> anyway, did, I, uh, any, did anything I'd go over uh, strike you as radically wrong? Uh, not radically wrong. A couple things uh, we clarify, but... Uh, let me let me uh, say first of all, I'm going to do my best to talk slow tonight. Good. This is not this is not my for today, but I'm going to do that. And well, I'm going well, to I, let me kind of give people an outline for where we're going. We're going to do Stephen first. We'll probably hold him past the bottom of the hour. Barbara Honiger, who was a member of, in the White House, who actually witnessed firsthand a huge October surprise that literally stole an election. She's the middle of the program. And then at the end, we're going to kind of talk about the big picture. What does this all mean? What could what's going to happen tomorrow and in the ensuing days mean? And we're going to try to look at it from the 30,000 foot perspective. So we have a kind of a mobile and, and facile time timeline here to move around. So, yes, take as much time as you need, because people need to really get the details yeah. of what could happen. Yeah. Plus, uh, I'm going to be reading very slow because when you're dealing with government language <laughs> and bills, what can I say? All right. Okay. So there are three things on the table that are, I think, very important right now. One of them is the uh, the defense appropriations bill, and the language that I'm referring to is in the Senate Bill 5403, which is essentially the final bill. It's incorporating the earlier material put in the House bill. I think part of that was an amendment, et cetera. But as most people know, there's kind of a back and forth. And eventually one house or the others pretty much got the final version. And then they, they do have a, a, a recon, I don't know what they call it, a reconciliation meeting. But you, sometimes they don't even need it. And then it's, it's passed and it goes to the president. 
So the bill, as it is in the 5403, as essentially uh, uh, championed by Mark Warner, the Senate Intel Committee chair. Now, we're t- is we're, almost- we're, we are talking about the 2023 bill, not yet passed, versus exactly. the 2022, which is going to come at us tomorrow with this report. Uh, 20, yeah, we're talking about Senate Bill 5403 as part of the National Defense Appropriations for 2023. Okay? Excellent. Excellent. And and that's what you want to look for if you want to search. Just search up Senate Bill 5403, and you can you can read the whole thing if you got uh, the inclination. The second thing I want to talk about is the recently announced the or they finally recently announced the people that are going to be on the NASA UFO group. Uh, I say UFO group. UAP study group <laughs> that uh, they uh, announced they were going to do a number of months ago. Well, they're I doing only, it and they're I announcing only, the people. I only know one of them, uh, Scott Kelly, who was the brother of Mark Kelly, who was the senator running to return to the Senate in Arizona uh, in the uh, midterm election in uh, less than a week. Scott Kelly is a very straight-up guy, but he's military. So depending upon his orders... He will either tell us the truth or he will tell us a version of the truth. It's going to be fascinating to find out which. The third thing I'm going to talk about is the just published article in the New York Times by Julian Barnes. I'm going to start with that article because it's the least important of the three. Uh, so, I, on, so the article published in the New York Times, which is not uh, – it's getting plenty of te- attention on Twitter – but it hasn't been picked up by too many other publications yet. Yeah, there's will. an actual link to it. It's my item number four. Just click on it. You can read the entire story there. Uh, that's good. Okay. So it's um, uh, I'm trying to get the title of the silly thing up. Oh, what is the title of it? I had it right here. Just a moment. It is, okay, many military U.F.O. reports are just foreign spying or airborne trash. Now, <laughs> a lot of people are upset with this uh, article, uh, and I, I will say with confidence that down the line, Julian Barnes, who is a very accomplished national security reporter with the Washington Post since 2018, and prior to that, he was in similar roles with the Wall Street Journal. This is a heavy hitter, okay? This is not going to be one of his finest articles. He's going to, uh, uh, it's not going to age very well. It's going to be a bit of embarrassment, but whatever. Okay, this is this is what he's just published. It is first notable that this article is published just prior yep. to the report that's about to come out. All right, virtually simultaneous with the announcement of the uh, group, uh, the group uh, that the NASA is putting together, uh, and so that's that's notable, right? And I don't think an accident. But what your listeners need to understand, uh, and I'm hearing some a lot of noise clicking there. Uh, what you, your, your, your listeners need to understand is that covering national security is not easy. All right, we've got some. There's some of the best reporters cover national security. There's only three ways, though, that you get information for your articles, no matter how powerful your paper. One is the Front office, I guess you could say the press office, mm-hmm. both person office, uh, which, which is Susan Gao. Uh, there is, of course, the spokesperson. They give press conferences. Okay. Uh, you sometimes get information there. You can ask questions. The third way is that you uh, talk to somebody at the uh, within the Pentagon and you report what they told you using their name, which doesn't happen much at all. You either have a name uh, source or sometimes an unnamed source. Most of the time, you have unnamed sources. And the simple reason is, is that the national security in this country is vast. It's a trillion dollar business, and it's involved in uh, an enormous amount of classified uh, uh, activity, classified at all kinds of levels. And even the stuff that isn't classified, in most cases, they don't want to be uh, they would rather you didn't know about it, but if you do know about it, they want to talk about it. They want to minimize the exposure of the people. And so what happens is over the years, uh, the top reporters have, have, have learned and worked out how you deal 
with this vast military intelligence complex that we have. And aside from, again, going to the pre occasional press briefings, aside from talking to the front office, you have your sources. And these unnamed sources, assuming you're a top journalist, they're, they're real and you know them. Your editor knows the name. And over time, you learn that the information they give you is, is good. All right. And because of that, you will put material in articles many times referring to these sources. And the American people have come to accept this. There, there are some that haven't, and I get that. There are certain activists for uh, openness, transparency, and what have you. But the American people get it, that if, if we want the New York Times and the Washington Post to know something about, as much as possible, about what's going on in our vast military intelligence complex, which occasionally goes over and wages wars with countries and kills lots of people, then these reporters have got to have sources that they can go to and get some information. Okay. Now, one thing people now, need to know is that sometimes the official government position is leaked through a source, even an anonymous source, because nobody wants to go on the record or it's more effective if it appears to be coming from a leak from inside as opposed to an official party line, right? Well, that's, that's again, that's not unusual. That's true in, in, in almost any arena of reporting. Uh, in other words... There are reporters that want to find out things that are going on, say, at the Pentagon, and there are unnamed sources that they trust, and they know their names, and their editor knows their names, and they can go to them and get that information. And there are circumstances where the Department of Defense or the Air Force or any other entity has some information they would like to get out to the people for whatever reason. But they, they can't just call up Julian Barnes and say, hi, this is General so-and-so. <laughs> I want you to tell the people about this. Be sure to use my name. And so there's a, there's a, there is this back and forth and cooperation. By and large, it is necessary. By and large, it's primarily constructive, but there is a great deal of potential. There is a potential for problems. All right. Now. But hang on, that, hang on, hang on. Before we get into the weeds, I want to ask a really important question. The original New York Times break in December 2017, top of the fold, UFO story, Pentagon, images, photographs, came from Helene Cooper. The new well, story, the new story. Not is, exactly, not exactly, not exactly. That, sto that story starts with uh, uh, Leslie Kane, who gets the, the, who gets the gun camera footage Ralph Blumenthal uh, is is recruited, and they take it into the New York Times, and the New York Times assigns Helene Cooper, okay, uh, because obviously they need that. Uh, so in a sense, it ends up being a three party, but she is the New York Times staff writer, or not writer, but she means she's a high level national security person. So she's in front of it. Yeah. Okay. The, the reason I'm the reason I'm asking is because she was on NBC shortly thereafter, a year or two after. And she made a big deal of being on the inside on this story. And they said to her, NBC News itself said, would you become our person on this story as it develops? And she said, I can't think of anything I'd rather do. The fact that her name is conspicuously not on this story, I think is significant. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Julian Barnes wants to get some information and write a story. He's going to write a story. She is. She like he is covering national security. It's a rather big topic, and so there's constant stories, thousands of hundreds of stories. Yeah, but and what so if the her idea... sources differ from his sources? I have no idea. Uh, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Again, he did a story. He got. He talked to people. He got information. He wrote the story. What, what whether she her sources were used, I don't know. Whether she should be involved is irrelevant, by and large. I'm simply let's just talk about his story, okay? And so he writes this thing. Now, what I can say about this story, which I'll get into in a little bit, is that first of all, it's got some really bad information in it. It has got some information that's flat out wrong. Uh, it is uh, it's not balanced. It has a clear purpose, right? I'm not saying it's Julian Barnes's purpose, but I'm saying that the information that was provided to him is one of those cases where they 
where where there was a connection between him and important people within the Pentagon, and he was chosen. He might not have been the only one looking for a story, but he was the one. Here's the stuff, right? And 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 he writes it up. All right. Now, there is there are a lot of problems here, and I want to beat beat this too too badly, but um, essentially, there is. The primary purpose of this story reflects, or what, the thing you need to understand about the, the Barn story, which again, I, I, we're not going to, I'm not going to be able to read it to you. People are going to have to go find it. Well, it's it's item that, number four in my items tonight on the page. Okay, good. They can be reading it while I'm telling it. Is that, as you well know, as I've said several million times, what is going on right now is not uh, the government has finally made a decision to try to find out what this phenomenon is. That is not what is going on at all. Uh, the government's known about what this phenomenon is for seven decades, seven plus decades. What is going on is that a, uh, I guess you could say a stage play is being produced to uh, for purpose. I think purpose. the term is kabuki theater. Well, that's sometimes used, but I, I'm going to, I'm not going to go there. I, I think this is more serious and more, I think, appropriate and more important. So not kabuki theater, but rather a stage play with a script designed to get somewhere, to achieve an outcome, all right? Uh, and the outcome is disclosure. The whole purpose of this is to get to a position, the very final act, the very final moment of the play, uh, when disclosure takes place, the curtain comes down, then the actors come out in front of the, the, the curtain, and a huge applause, and everybody's partying. Now, one of the fundamental problems in conducting this, this play, this show, uh, for the reasons that they're doing it, fundamentally stems from the fact that, one, they have known about this phenomena, they have been studying this phenomena, researching this phenomena in deeply classified programs with huge sums of money since 1947, okay? At least. And that's one problem. The second problem they have is over the, inter the subsequent years, more and more people, in, in terms of millions and tens of millions of people, now, just, let's just confine it to the United States, but it, we could extend this to the rest of the world, have figured out that, all right? Know that, know that, yeah, they've been dealing with this issue all along. So you can see that, okay, that's the first problem they're facing as they try to do this. The second problem is that for a number of reasons, which I happen to consider valid, they simply can't rip the Band-Aid off and just say, hey, look, we're done, it's over, hey, there's ETs here, Sorry, we didn't tell you sooner. They can't do that. So that is the second problem they face. And then the third problem they face, in order to uh, for this play to be to go forward properly, like plays of a certain era in the United States, there's certain words you can't say. There are certain things you can't show on the stage. There, right? Wouldn't pass the the censors or whatever. In other words, you gotta you gotta follow some rules. You certainly gotta follow the script. And if you do, the play goes well, everybody likes it, it gets good reviews. That's the third problem they face. And within that problem, there is uh, a couple of dynamics. One of them, one of the key aspects of this three-act play that's been going on since 2017, uh, 20, 20, uh, is that the, thing, the play's fundamental uh, theme is national security. This is a national security play. Okay, we're right. at the bottom of the hour. Hold it there. My guest this morning, my first guest is uh, Stephen Bassett. He's been on top of the disclosure bandwagon for decades. And we're talking tonight about what might happen in the next few days, the next few weeks, as this very messy problem of government disclosure, however the random walk takes us in that direction, unfolds. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
Jeffrey Hogland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back on this Sunday night, October 30th, 2022. Just a few hours away now from which by law was mandated that the Congress release its first annual report on the status of the U.S. government investigation of UFOs, UAP phenomenon under a formal government Pentagon office devoted to trying to, in the law, figure it out. And what I'm talking about tonight with my first guest, Stephen Bassett, is how that messy process of a government slowly, painstakingly, torturously getting to the ultimate conclusion that millions of Americans have arrived at decades ago, which is that somebody not from here is coming here and interacting with us. We're talking about how that process in Washingtonese unfolds, and we're starting with that New York Times story of yesterday, which basically said, uh, remember all that stuff we wrote about back in 2017 about the Navy and UFOs and UAPs and crap that streak up from the altitude of the stratosphere down to the deck of the ocean in seconds? Uh, well, never mind. Anyway, Stephen, please pick it up. Well, to be, it, it's not saying never mind. It's much more subtle than that. But again, the context is this. There were two, two, two basic themes this play could have had. One was national security. The other was extraterrestrial. They knew they had the fundamental theme had to be national security in service to the much larger group of Americans who either simply don't know much about this subject at all, right? Or maybe they do know about the subject, but they view it as a national security matter. There is a, still very large, but not as large group of people in this country that think this play should be about extraterrestrials, period. Why are we screwing around? And I get that. But they made the choice, national security. So that's that's the first thing. Another thing. So, in terms of the script, there's all kinds of limitations of what they can say and do. Because if they if they do not stick with the script, things can get out of hand very quickly. Which is why... Well, wait, when, when you, you say get out of hand, what do you mean? Oh, uh, you, suddenly you've got media suddenly coming at you from six different directions with questions that are far harder to answer. Uh, you, you, you've got uh, uh, much more confusion. You, you, you're upsetting members of Congress that may shut down. You could create blowback within the DOD, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, if the play is not, if the play is not going well, a lot of the cast is going to quit and the thing could fall apart. And, of course, they don't want that because they desperately need to get this job done. And so the language has got to be national security. They're, they're limited to what they can say. One of the most significant things, uh, one of the more significant things about this as it's played out is you saw the transition from UA, UO, UFO to UAP. This was absolutely critical. Uh, if you go through the entire three very large sections of the bill, Dr. three, UFO is not there at all. Okay. UAP is actually not there because now they are referring to unidentified aerial undersea 
phenomena. All right, which is fine. Okay, uh, underwater phenomena. Rather. So, but essentially, UFO is not there at all. And the reason for that is that, and one of the reason that a lot of people, including myself, were very hard to try to make this happen, was that we knew that getting the members of Congress to stick their neck out, try to pass legislation, give interviews to Congress, for the DOD to respond uh, to language in the bills and make their own statements, UFO was poison, was a poison pill. It just was. We all know that in every area of interest and inquiry, there are certain words you don't use. For instance, if you want to talk about race, there's some words you just don't use. You use those words and your efforts are going nowhere. UFO has become that kind of term. Now, it's not totally gone away, but the point is we established it enough that it could be used to describe the phenomena. And so that's helpful. That's one small example of what's necessary. But in the more complex ways this is playing forward within the national security issue, what they have done, this is what they primarily accomplished in the last three years in terms of multiple bills. And I should mention that the five, the bill that's about to be passed in the 2023 National Security Act, is, it doesn't replace everything in the two previous bills. There are stuff in those bills that still apply. And so if you want to understand the whole status of all this, you actually have to read all three bills. What can I say? And then you get a larger picture. Don't just assume that everything in the current bill, ah, that describes what's going on. But what's in this current bill is extremely important. We'll get to that. And so what they did was say, look, we're going to acknowledge publicly that this phenomenon is real, which – Anybody would have a brain would have known 70 years ago. It's obviously real. Secondly, we're going to acknowledge that this phenomena has characteristics which we, we do not think our, our military can, can uh, achieve or even the military of our enemies. Russia, Soviet Union, China will say that. Not saying it's extraterrestrial. They're not saying it's not man-made. What they and, and, and that's because you use that phrase. That's not the phrase being used. What they are saying, it is not technology that we have. Now, when you any reasonable person <laughs> reads their statements about the technology of this this these of uh, this phenomena, the obvious answer is, of course, it's not man-made. But they can't say that. And you may say, well, what does it matter? It matters a lot. Because the language that's used as you try to maneuver the politics of this to get to the hearings and so forth is absolutely critical. I think if anybody has learned anything in the last years, that language is critical to political outcomes. You just can't say anything you want or phrase it any way you want and expect it all work out. No. And so they're working back and forth between, okay, it's got characteristics we don't have and this event. Or that particular gun camera footage, boy, that's uh, don't understand that. And then they're over here with the fact that, oh yes, there are technologies out there uh, that are advanced that are in the hands of our enemies, and some of these sightings could be that. Okay, all right. So, <clears throat> and they've been balancing that out pretty well. However, this article does not do that. What this article does, it's a kind of pushback. It's a hit piece. I, I don't even call it a hit piece. It is a pushback, at least in terms of the people that talk to Julian Barnes. Now, the next thing you need to understand is Julian Barnes is a reporter. His job is to report about national security. And so he talks to people at the Pentagon, and they tell him things, and he writes it up if that source is established with him, he is not writing an opinion piece. And so people are getting very mad at Julian Bonds because he's not writing to their satisfaction what they want to hear and acting like he's a, an opinion writer, he op-ed writer. He is not. This reflects what he was told okay, by people who he, he relied on as known sources. Now, what he will eventually find is these sources who, who have given him probably excellent information in the past that he has a relationship with, 
have lied to him in this instance, misled him, misdirected him, and that will probably anger him, and maybe it'll damage the relationship, I don't know. But ultimately, what the article does, ahead of the report that's coming out, ahead of the massive election that's about to take place, which could change the friggin' country in ways I can't even imagine, is trying to throw some oil on the fire. It was uh, starting to how would you say, oil in the water, it was starting to heat up. And so they they put the emphasis that you talk about certain events or deciding such as like the gimbal and whatever, and they offer alternative explanations when anybody that's familiar with this issue knows that's been heavily looked into, okay? Now, Stephen, Susan I think Gow- you moved away from your mic. You're much lower. Oh, it fell off. It fell off uh, on, the, on the ground. Hang on. Technology uh, uh, Susan- will be the death of us all. Uh, Tuzan Gao jumps in, right, uh, and makes some bland better, yeah. statements like uh, the Pentagon remains committed to principles of yeah, openness she's, but she's must the balance. Best person for the Pentagon and the peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she understand. Susan Gao doesn't make policy. No, she's, she's not just a running anything. She is telling people she's what a mouthpiece. she is told to okay. tell them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need to be generous with Susan Gao. Okay. Uh, See, what I'm not generous like, with Julian about is that he did not go to Helene Cooper's sources, who I'm sure would have had a very different take on the things that his guys were saying. Uh, well, again, journalism is not that simple. Uh, he gets information. He, his sources he believes are valid. It's current. It's topical. He writes it up. If he wants to do a full investigation piece, well, he could have taken three months and gone to her sources, a lot of other sources, and God knows. But that, that, that they're writing an article, okay? Okay? Maybe she wasn't available. Maybe she didn't want to share. So I don't know. All I know is this is not an unusual article. Okay, look, we are it's running out of time. We need, we need to move on, okay? Because you got two other legs on your stool here. Uh, well, okay. The, the, all I can say is that uh, this article seems to downplay – it seems to contradict and so forth. Don't put too much stock in it. It's not that important. Uh, it's kind of a pushback. We'll probably know more later. But Julian probably already knows and will certainly know soon enough that a great deal of what is in this article is wrong and there's already been plenty of coverage showing it to be wrong. And so it will eventually sort out. OK, so that's the situation with that article. Now, the second thing that has happened of note, which is pretty significant, is that the uh, government announced the actual people that are going to be in the NASA study group. All right. The one that they said they were going to do. Which and is ostensibly God, they did. for people who don't in the in the you know, down in the weeds in this, the Pentagon is military. We all know that. All right. Army, Navy, Marines, et cetera, et cetera. NASA is supposed to be civilian, scientists, level-headed, yeah. ordinary folks looking at science with expertise, objective, not with an agenda, etc. In other words, but what they don't know is NASA is also a part of the military-industrial complex in the legislation that created NASA. So the first thing about NASA, which is a lie, is it's not really a civilian agency. It just well, I did, makes I, I out disagree. like one. I disagree. NASA it's is It's in the law, Stephen. Come on. I, I know I know the law, Richard. NASA is a civilian space agency that has a certain limitation on it under the nineteen fifty eight Space Act regarding national security matters. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's it's it is It's on a leash. It's on a leash with respect to certain things. That's not unusual. I think that probably applies to a lot of non what you would call uh, military or defense entities. Uh, so it's not unusual. But in NASA's case, and given the issues so profound and important, the fact that uh, if NASA were find a complete found a complete civilization on Mars, they couldn't say a damn thing about it unless the Pentagon allowed them to. Okay, so it and so it's always been under that. That a directive and Can that I has inter- limited. Interject real quick, Stephen. Yeah. Yes, Keith. Yeah. Go ahead. Washington Post, 1965. I found this when I was looking up the articles from 1924 about how we received radio signals from Mars for Nightline, and that article in that 
1965 Washington Post article said that the unions at NASA were upset because key positions were being given to retired military personnel. Now, retired uh, retired military personnel are technically civilians, but they still have their oath of allegiance and oath of uh, or allegiance to the military. And if they're told to do something, they're going to do it. So the military did take over NASA. It's covertly, but they're in place to keep things in place because we that was four years before we went to the moon. So they wanted to keep things under wrap. And they have Again, done that I, quite well. Right, look, I we could we can you know, in some ways we're talking about approach and words. I I, I don't like the phrase the military took over NASA. Uh, it's hardly surprising that former military would go to work well, for NASA and other agencies. Well, given that of, of all of us here, I'm the NASA expert. Yes, the military took over NASA. Let's move on. Okay, fine. Okay. So NASA was unable to address this issue. It was notable that as things unfolded a couple of years ago, uh, they made a bold move in bringing Bill Nelson in as the, uh, the head, uh, given his background and so forth, political and an astronaut. And then, of course, they indicated they were going to step into the issue. That was significant. And then they indica- indicated they were going to set up a group, and that was even more significant. So in terms of the play that's unfolding, the NASA has been brought – in other words, like a play unfolds and different characters keep turning up as you – you know, in Act 1, Act 2, right, for the play to be proper and right. And NASA has now been brought up on the stage and is now performing in front of the audience and doing its thing. That's a good thing. Uh, and appropriate it, it, because one of the fundamental needs of this play is that all the characters that are involved and all the uh, organizations and so forth get a chance to show their stuff in front of the, the audience and do the right thing, do it transparently in order to, quote, save face and look as good as possible when things finally break as we reach the end of the play. I get it. Who doesn't want to be liked? Now, very quickly, though, to give you an idea of the importance of this group. This is this is you know we talk about the Robertson panel. My my God! Uh, in addition to uh, well, you have the head. The head person is a astrophysicist. Okay, the group also includes an associate professor of computational and data science at George Mason, a joint professor uh, at the University of Delaware in the Department of Physics, the dean of the Graduate School of Oceanography at the University of Rhode Island, uh, an operating partner at a defense contractor. Uh, a CEO of a, the Potomac Institute of Policy Studies, that's Think Tank, a freelance science journalist, all right, Nadia Drake, who I think is a sibling of Frank Drake. I could be wrong. Also, executive vice president of the Civil Space and External Affairs at Redwire, probably another think tank, a senior scientist at the Planetary Science Institute in Tucson, Scott Kelly, the astronaut, uh, the uh, president of the Association of Universities for Research and Astronomy, a deputy executive director of the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, the executive vice president and chief technology officer of space technology company Maxar, in other words, another defense contractor or space contractor, professor of electrical and computer engineering at Boston University, acting executive director of the FAA's Office of Aviation Policy and Plans, and the associate professor of physics at the University. University of California. This group is massive. This is serious. This is okay. What, let me, let me stop you expect. there. Have you seen Richard Dolan's latest video and his analysis of this NASA group? No, not yet. I oh, he's very negative. He thinks it's complete yeah. kabuki theater. It's all just to cover. They're going to go along with whatever the Pentagon comes out with. The New York Times story is the bellwether on, on that. He thinks it's going to be a total whitewash. He's incredibly negative. I'm trying to get him on the air. If I do, I'm going to have you come on, and we'll all have a conversation. But Dolan, who really wants this to be a disclosure process, is extraordinarily negative that we're looking at real disclosure. That's fine. Richard and I disagree on a lot of things. It's okay. I love Richard. He's a great guy. But we don't always agree on everything. The very existence of this group, the public announcement of this group at this time is a, how would you say, a huge stamp of authenticity. Well, hang on. Let me, to- let, let me tell you what I would if I was the administrator and putting together this panel. I would have put on 
the panel, if I was serious as a scientist or as an administrator, that NASA has never done for any of its planetary missions going back to Apollo. There's no anthropologist on the team. There's no archaeologist on the team. There's no one with psychology to think about how do ETs, if we're looking at ET phenomenon, how may they think in terms of interacting with the human race, etc., etc. It's all physicists. It's all administrative people. It's bureaucrats. It's nobody that could deal with real ETs except maybe for Scott Kelly, maybe. The pressure, the process underway is not about ETs. I think I've mentioned that. It's about national security and posturing and setting up kind of a show that has to go on. In other words, this is not about, oh, we're going to do this and figure out what is going on. They already know what is going on. What they are doing is putting people on the stage and getting things done that are appropriate and, and, and look appropriate in order to set the stage for the hearings when the real heavy stuff comes forward, all right, and that's the witnesses, military witnesses, and in those hearings and that testimony which sets the stage for the president to confirm the extraterrestrial presence. Once that has happened, post-disclosure, yeah, very quickly everything will be on the table. That play will have closed. Curtains will have come down, and a new play will begin. Only this will be much broader, much more authentic, involving many more people, and it will be the real deal. Most of everything we need to know, we are not going to know until after disclosure, after the, the confirmation of the ET presence. Then we're going to get that information. The government's problem is not finding out the truth. It's getting set up so that they can tell us the truth, and the pathway to that is hearings and disclosure by the president. It is this dynamic, which I've been talking about for over two years, that I know people are struggling with, and I know it, it's tough for them. They, you know, and I could go. I don't think I'm going to have time, but I could go through the Space Act and show you, uh, not the Space Act, but the current legislation, and show you all their things they're doing, which fits the model that I'm talking about. Well, let's let, let's talk about the 2023 NDAA. Forget the Senate number; no one's going to remember that. This is the law that goes into yeah. effect next year. Sure. There's some really they, significant they, they, Exactly. Things. And one of the key things, which that Newsmax article, which is item number three tonight in my items, highlights is that the Congress mandates that the Pentagon, looking at this phenomenon, forget about Chinese drones and Iranian drones and, you know, things that go bump in the night that are just noise, that they literally establish a, an investigation of non-man-made technology flying around in our skies, which is a razor blade away from ET-produced UFOs. So that's in the coming law to be signed by Biden into law sometime between now and next year. Again, I want to be careful there. The word, the term man-made is nowhere in the act. By the way, something that's interesting about this, uh, this act is that in the article by Julian Bonds, Julian Barnes, the UAP acronym doesn't appear. He, he uses the UFO acronym. <laughs> and he even uses the archaic version of it, which is U.F.U. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that you see that right away says it's basically a throwback. Now, whether Julian Barnes wanted to go well, out wait, and wait, get wait, some wait, wait, that's real because I, I read it but I didn't read it that closely if he's done that Stephen I would argue that Barnes is kind of like the guy doing the hostage video he's between the lines in a very Emily Dickinson fashion saying read this with a jaundiced eye it's not what I really believe I don't know I do know that uh, by using the acronym UFO not UAP it opens uh, it up to all the old symbology yeah and either that is intentional by him he's a writer he of course to... it is no he is a journalist he is a reporter okay and 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 that's not the same thing as an op-ed writer or a fiction writer he's a reporter now is he deliberately reporting it that way because he feels that way or is he reporting because that's what he was told in other words the sources that he were dealing with were, were conveying the information to him as ufo 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 mm -hmm. okay again there is a pushback going on here 
which some people are going to be worried about because, oh, my God, it's like a Robertson panel. Well, that's They're like Dolan. That's this. his position. It's yeah, all yeah, fake. Well, it's all feeding us yeah. down to a blind canyon. Yeah, and I, I understand. Some people might think that. I don't. I don't think that's what's going on. And that is your position. That, I wanted to clarify yeah. everything tonight before we get to the stunning stuff that could happen beginning tomorrow morning. Yeah, 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 right. Okay. Well, everything that I'm saying right now is my position. <laughs> There's no, I'm not telling other people's positions. So it's it's not clear. However, there, there are so much has already been written about a lot of what's in Julian's article that it will quickly unravel in a way. Okay, it will it will and it will kind of be picked apart, and there may be some follow up. He may write something else. I'm not really worried about it. It's not important. However, because of the timing of it, and because of the reports that are going to come out and so forth, it's possible that some people that he trusted, who uh, were were of a mind that they needed to push back a little on this for whatever reason, the pace was going too fast or what have you. So it may be something like or that. Or they the think other thing they I, really can kill the whole thing and we'll go back to normal. Well, they can think that, but there's a snowball. But there are lots of arrogant people who think that who control government and control money. Well. Who, Right now, they're outnumbered big time. I mean, in other words, there's an avalanche. I mean, look going. at Putin big... as an example of someone who's totally out of touch with reality. Well, fortunately, this is not Russia, and we're not dealing with Putin. We're dealing with the Department of Defense. So that that's possible, okay? But the other thing I want to mention is, look, folks, when it comes to reports, they're irrelevant, all right? Just forget about reports. They're irrelevant. You, got, you, have, to, you have to set them up. You, you want to call for them. You can even set dates for them. And then there's also, quote, briefings. And the briefings that – private briefings that go to Congress or classified briefings are very important. But, of course, we don't see those. But all the reports they announced they're going to have, like the one that's coming up and the one we had before, whatever else, that's part of the show. And the reason I bring this up is that some people are looking at these reports. Oh, they're mandating that there will be a report every year for the next six years. Oh, I guess we'll be pretty much chasing this issue down until 2028. No, not at all. <laughs> but you, 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 can't, you can't just come out and say, look, uh, this thing is about to wrap up pretty soon. We've got time for one more report. We'll have it in six months, and then this is over. No, you have to play the game out, and the game is we, we need to do this and that and set up this and that. We need to do everything appropriate, and there should be reports and briefings and blah, 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 and I get that, and all of that is setting the stage to finish for this play to move into final act, and so forget the friggin' reports. It's not important. Okay, now, when you get to the act – Okay, this act is loaded with big stuff. All right, I, I, we're running out of time, so let me just couple a couple of the key points. One of the most important things in, in this act, which is section seven hundred three, four, and five. Well, I'll tell you what. Let, the, let's uh, not try to cram this into a blivet. So I'll bring you back, and then Barbara and I will will seamlessly grade into this with her real world example of how this really works in terms of October, and okay. and we will do that after the top of the hour. My guest this morning is Stephen Bassett leading us off to give us the political background. And I know it's dry and boring and all that kind of stuff because that's what politics for most people is, dry and boring and all that kind of stuff. But it's actually the way the world works, particularly if you're dealing with laws and legislation and something as enormous as a change of state for all of humanity, which this is all the foreplay for what we really, Stephen and I, and Richard Dolan, and many others, hope is to come. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. 
As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.